Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media, or you can support our community. You can find more details about our community at workerbeing.com. So today we're going to be talking about detaching from work. So Katina, I know we've talked about this a lot um, on the podcast, in our blog, about like, you know, what it means to detach from work and how important it is for recovery. Um, so I have a really fun article today that I want to talk through. But before we dive into that, I wanted to ask you, okay, so if you're in a situation where you're really like ruminating on things at work, like something's going on and you need to just detach, relax, get away from work for like the weekend, let's say, what is like the one or two things that really help you fully get away from it and stop thinking Hmm. about it? I think that's a great question. And as we've been talking about detachment a lot, because I think, you know, this is an awesome topic given how much of the world of work now happens where there are a lot of blurred boundaries. So both of Mm -hmm. us work from home quite a bit. And I think that that makes it even more challenging. So what I would say is I need kind of like a physical separation, like a cue that I'm not in my house anymore and I'm going to do something else. So Closing my laptop is one thing that I think is really helpful. Just kind of actually physically making the move to say, okay, that part of my day is done. And then I think if I walk somewhere or go somewhere with Brendan, like having another person, like a social activity kind of puts me into another headspace so that I'm not especially if it's with someone who I don't work with right like somebody who (laughs) maybe I talk to them about work but it's not like that's going to dominate the conversation so I'm still like in the work headspace so going to kind of spend time doing something separate outside of my house away from work and making that mental transition I feel like that's what actually that's one of the things that or a set of things that really helps me to transition from working into like, okay, I'm in a different phase of my day. Yeah, that makes sense. I kind of agree with you in terms of just like the changing scenery for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, I feel like on the days that we go out to dinner or like I run an errand after work are the days where I feel like I've actually left work, right? When I I'm working at home and I don't go anywhere and like I just stay at home, even if I'm not doing work stuff, even if I'm like watching TV or on the Peloton or making dinner, I feel like I don't feel as like disconnected from it. But if I leave the house and then come back in, then it's like it's like a reset. Like now I'm at home, not at work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I totally agree with you there. The other thing that I think is really big for me, especially like in the evenings, if I'm trying to fall asleep and I'm just thinking about like stuff that I have to do or what's going on at work. I, I do think that, um, I love the headspace app and there's like the sleep music and sleep soundscapes and sleep, whatever, all those things that kind of just get me to like focus, I I guess really in in a sense, like do kind of like mindfulness activities. Right. Um, I think that really helps so that I can actually fall asleep and like clear my mind, Um, I'm very bad about doing that earlier in the day, which maybe is what I should do, uh, because it does seem to help a lot at night. So maybe that's something I could try to do better. Well, I think, you know, that I think 
yeah, integrating more mindfulness into our day is probably something we all could do, but it sounds like a time for you that is triggering for thinking about work when you shouldn't be thinking about work is when you're trying to go to sleep. So maybe earlier in the day, it's more appropriate for you to be thinking about work. So you don't have to necessarily like turn it off. But when you're laying there going to bed, like, yeah, there's no reason that you should keep thinking about or replaying those things in your head. So it seems like that has some, some positive effect, although integrating mindfulness in the rest of the day could be helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking like, just like maybe when I'm actually logging off, like that might be a time, right? Like if I'm not going to be leaving the house, I mean, I guess I can always leave the house and take a walk, but like if I don't have plans to like do anything further outside of the home, maybe it's like, okay, on those days where I feel like I'm not disconnecting as well, maybe I could incorporate like a five minute little mindfulness thing on that app that I love. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that Both of us have ways that sort of seem to work for us to disconnect and detach. But I'm curious to hear more about the article that you'll be talking about and what they have to say. Are our tips is what we're doing good? (laughs) Yeah, it's a so I really, really love this article because it's all about interventions. And, you know, we talk about like what can companies do? What can businesses do? And so it kind of gets to that, but it also gets to some individual things that you can do, too. So. My high-level takeaways. First one is that interventions that are aimed to help you to detach from work are actually effective at doing so. So this is one of those areas where, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll talk about workplace wellness programs that aren't as impactful. But if you implement a program or an intervention where you're actually, the goal is for employees to like stop thinking about work at the end of the day, they actually do work. Um, so that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two. So all these kind of build on each other. So I'm just going to go through them really quickly um, because they build really quickly on each other. So takeaway number two is the types of interventions that work best are ones that divert your attention away from the stressor or ones that help you like reappraise the stressor. Hmm. So I'll talk about that in more detail, but um, so like things that make you stop thinking about it, take like distract you or things that make you look at the stressor and be like, oh, you know, it's actually not so bad or I'm putting it in some sort of context. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious to hear more about how we can do that. Yeah. And that kind of leads to inter- the number third, the, the third takeaway. Number third. <laughs> the number third. <laughs> number third. <laughs> the number third takeaway <laughs> um, is that when you get into it a little bit more deeply, the interventions that work the best are ones that include boundary management. So like how do you manage your own boundaries after work or around work? Um, emotion regulation. Um, so, you know, how can you help yourself kind of work through negative emotions um, and then sleep improvement strategies, um, which feels relevant to the example I gave. I totally forgot that was one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so sleep improvement strategies. So those three areas are the most effective interventions if you're focusing on boundary management, emotion regulation, and sleep improvement. Okay, awesome. So it sounds like hey, we should be doing something about this. There's also specific ways in which this can be done most effectively. And then there are like recommendations for what types of interventions you might want to, if you have limited time, resources, et cetera, like you're going to help us hone in on which ones we should try to implement. Yeah, exactly. And then the final thing is that like, 
interventions that last longer. So courses and things that are more than two weeks, more than four hours, um, overall, not like in one sitting are more effective. Um, and so it kind of gets to this idea of like potentially ongoing, um, access to these types of interventions is important. And, um, it says that the effects of these interventions, when they look across all these different studies can actually last up to six months. So they're actually very effective, um, compared to like other interventions we often see in research. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like if you want to detach, you really need to like put strategies or habits in place that are like on the daily instead of like, oh, I'm going to go. Not that like we're knocking vacation because there's some research on positive effects of vacation too, but like I'm going to go on a vacation once a year and I'm expecting that's going to impact my detachment overall, like on a daily basis. Like that's probably not going to work. You need stuff that's going to be, um, more ongoing it sounds like or like more of a large um uh, a larger effort than just something that seems like a one and done yep exactly um so I'll kind of break into the details of this and like what are the things that you can do as a person and also if you're a leader or you know running a company or HR function um what types of things you should focus on because I think that there's a lot of really Um, I don't know about easy because interventions when you have like some sort of person focused training is obviously it can cost money, but they're not um, wildly out of the realm of things that people might be considering, if that makes Mm. sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So this, um, everything you're talking about today is based on a study by Karabinsky et al. Um, that was published in 2021. It's a meta-analysis. So um, similar to other meta-analyses we've talked about, basically what it does is it takes a bunch of studies that look at detachment um, and combine them together to kind of come up with like, what is the overall story here? And so just really quickly, in case you know, anyone needs a refresher, this is about psychological detachment, which is basically like your ability to like physically and mentally distance yourself from work when you're not working. Um, so during, you know, the evening or whenever your non-work times might be. Um, and that's really important because we know, uh, based on a lot of different research that detachment is associated with recovery from stress, increased well-being, improved performance, reduction in fatigue and things like that. So it's really a good thing to focus on. Yeah. So, and you're saying physical and psychological. So kind of actually stopping engaging in work but then we know that mentally you can stay involved in thinking about your work um even when you're not physically present so it sounds like there's sort of like two components to this where if you really want to detach you need to stop doing work but you also need to stop thinking about work exactly yes yep so it's the whole idea of like just really kind of disconnecting so that you can you know, start fresh. If you're constantly thinking about something, you know, it ends up kind of wearing on you and, um, you'll experience that exhaustion and, and then you're not going to think clearly about that thing if you're like ruminating on it forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is super actionable and important for us to, uh, try to address. So what are some of the actions that, um, or what are some of the things we should know about the types of actions that we could take that could help us to do this better? Yeah. So I think the first thing, um, you know, the first takeaway is really about like the fact that these interventions are helpful. So I think that just in and of itself is, you know, if you're a company, if you're a leader, someone in HR, you really should think about how can you implement interventions to help employees, um, learn how to detach from work. So it's fascinating because 
Most of the research is really focused on things that employees can do to psychologically detach. So it's really putting the onus on the employee. Um, but the intervention, the training is coming from the company. So it's kind of like this weird thing where it's like the company is providing a training to help employees have more resources really to, to cope with stress and to help them detach. Um, Mm. so I think that's important that we, one, that companies do provide these types of interventions, but I think just kind of as a side note, the, the paper did call out that there's really a lack of interventions that the responsibility falls on the company and there's, Mm. there is work that probably needs to be done there too. So if you're listening and you have some influence, think about how can you design jobs better that allow people to detach more effectively? How can you create like natural boundaries at work so people aren't expected to work at different hours, et cetera? So it's also on the company and not just on the employee to build these strategies. Yeah. So it sounds like you can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, there's nothing we can do about this. There is a way. So companies just have to find the will to help their employees with this. Exactly. Yes. So I completely agree with you. Companies need to really be finding the responsibility on themselves as well. Um, But if you are providing these interventions, um, as I mentioned, the second takeaway, it's really around diverting attention away from stress and facilitating your reappraisal um, of the stressors. So they kind of called out three different types of interventions. And the one that really stood out is what they called interventions with components that primarily alter employees' primary appraisal. So basically what that means is that these interventions are focused on um, promoting somebody actually engaging in recovery activities. So doing something active to recover. So, you know, making sure that people are taking the time to um, relax or uh, spend time with their social groups, what have you. Um, These types of interventions also can do things like the boundary management I mentioned earlier So helping people figure out how to set their own boundaries. These types of interventions include mindfulness um, and then that emotion regulation. So really helping provide techniques to employees on how to like calm down by managing through difficult emotions like sadness, anger, et cetera, that result from the work specifically. Hmm. Yeah. So you're basically saying that a really good way of doing this is actually just like decreasing the problem at the root whether that's like I'm going to give you a tool to actually help you detach or like we understand that you might be experiencing these emotions that are making it difficult for you to detach so we're going to decrease the level of those emotions that you're feeling on a regular basis so it sounds like um, they're sort of helping to understand like what's the cause of the lack of ability to detach and then like addressing that um, directly. Yes, exactly. So it's really about the person's primary reasons for not being able to detach. So there's like two causes of why you can't detach. One is the job stressors. And that's the part where there's really a lot less work around. Like how do we change the way the job is designed? How do we make sure we're properly staffed, et cetera? Like Mm -hmm. those are things a company has to handle. But when it comes to the interventions that, you know, that they did study some of those interventions as well and they weren't as effective, but they did call out that there really weren't as many true interventions that actually addressed the job components Mm. that are making detachment hard. Um, but yes, from an employee's perspective, 
the ones that are really important are the ones that are truly getting at the core as to why the employee can't attach. Because they also looked at this other intervention type, which has to do with secondary appraisals. Um, So that's kind of like more, like further away from the issue as to why you can't attach. So yes, you're totally right. You're focusing on like, what are the things that you need to do to detach? And, um, and that includes things like recovery activities, figuring out your boundaries, mindfulness, regulating emotions, et cetera. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really good call out because I think a lot of times people are like, obviously if you can't decrease the, you know, cause of the difficulty with detaching directly, like it's better to do something secondarily than to do nothing at all. But I think a lot of times people are like, you know, you need to just figure out a way to like deal with your reaction to this, or you need to figure out a way to like, you know, this, you need to handle this on your own, but there's nothing we can change structurally about why you're experiencing this problem. So I think people have this complaint a lot with work-life balance initiatives and things like that. It's kind of like nobody's thinking about changing the structure of how things are done to make it so that like, we just don't have this challenge. Uh, People are more thinking about like, well, this challenge is inevitable. So, you know, I guess we just have to figure out ways to deal with it. So it sounds like the real recommendation here is no, you actually can do some things to make it easier for people to actually experience that detachment instead of just saying, well, you know, this is the way work is, or this is the way it has to be. And then employees are sort of feeling a little more helpless in terms of how they can actually cut down on their constant connectedness. Yeah, exactly. So I think the thing is that companies need to be like, all right, we're going to come in and we're going to try to change the way work is done to improve the experience. But in addition, we know these interventions work. So now let's give them to employees to help them do the couple of things they can do on their side to make the experience better. Mm -hmm. So the top three, as I mentioned earlier, interventions include boundary management, emotion regulation, and sleep improvement. So I'm going to talk a little bit about all three of those, but basically if you had to pick one, if you had to pick an intervention, you should pick out of these three. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So now we're going to learn specifically like, okay, it's, you can't just say, oh, I don't know why our employees have a personal problem detaching. Like uh, (laughs) there are, there are ways that uh, companies can actually address this. They should address it. It can be impactful. And now we're going to learn what those ways are. Yeah. And so these are the ones that, these are the interventions that they provide employees. So it's a little bit different than what you're saying. So like, it's not, we don't have the meta-analysis on the specific structural changes sure. yet, but, um, I think we know some of those things. So just yeah. kind of as an aside, like that would be, you know, making sure you have properly staffed and hiring people, making mm-hmm. sure you're giving people, um, all the resources they need to do their job, the training, um, giving them the ability to develop and grow like kind of those basics, right. Autonomy and flexibility. Um, but then outside of those structural changes, if you're giving somebody like courses or like, um, resources, what have you to learn things they can do. Uh, the first one that's really effective is boundary management. So basically helping, um, employees understand how they can create work and home boundaries. So things like having them think about, okay, so time-wise, like, is there a certain time that I want to end? And can I stick to that? Um, we talked about the physical space, like you and I both felt like leaving, helps us create a boundary. So providing those types of um, opportunities, but also like helping educate people that that's something that can help them. Hmm. Um, helping them think through like mental strategies, behavioral strategies to help them separate work and their 
personal life. Um, so really establishing um, content and an intervention or a course of some sort, some sort of training development to help people really figure out how to create their own boundaries, how to create the transitions from work to home, and how to um, stick to those boundaries. Hmm, perfect. Yeah. So, so this idea of, you know, there, I think, I think it kind of goes hand in hand, right. Of, uh, these interventions to help people understand how to manage boundaries, but it probably can be a lot harder if people aren't respecting boundaries too. So, um, so I think that that's kind of like an interesting take home is like, if your company is suggesting this, I, my hope would be that they would also be like role modeling, practicing what they preach, et cetera. But it makes sense that, you know, Hey, if I'm going to be able to detach from work, I need to actually just physically like get work out of my face or find a way to sort of make that transition for myself so that sometimes people do self-initiate, um, you know, those lack of boundaries. So people might not even realize, and we've talked with companies before about that, where they're like, oh, nobody here detaches and everyone has bad work-life balance. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, what are you doing to contribute to that? Well, are you expecting that people are going to answer emails at 9 PM? And are you, you know, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, you're right. Like, actually I am doing that to people. I should stop doing that. So I think that that's also (laughs) something to, to, um, be aware of here too, is that sometimes people are doing things to, you know, cut down on the likelihood that they themselves will be able to detach and they're not even being conscious of it. Yeah. And I think that that's a big piece too, is like in this type of content that you can create in these interventions is not just like, here are the types of things you can do to, to disconnect, right? Like you can walk out of the house, you can close your computer, whatever, but also how are you role modeling it? How are you keeping your, yourself accountable, other people accountable? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if everyone in the organization or like a large percentage of people, maybe it's just managers, maybe it's whatever, are going through this type of education, then they hopefully can take that and embody it and then help kind of create that environment that allows for boundaries to be um, like realistic, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot there and I do think that that's what makes this intervention so powerful is because like you said, if a company is providing it, it's like, Hey, we want you to take this two or four week or six week course on all the things you can do. And then you've got some action planning and people are, you know, they're starting to create a habit because now, like I said, the longer interventions are better. So if they're coming back to these courses and like, we'll talking about boundary management a lot more frequently, then they're starting to create a habit. They're starting to get reminded of what to do. And then that would help obviously in the long term because now people are used to having boundaries. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like getting into the habit of physically and mentally separating and finding ways that work for you to do that by really thinking consciously about setting boundaries um and sticking to those boundaries. Yeah, exactly. So that's the first one. The second one that they recommend um based on the the data here is emotion regulation. So helping people really manage their emotions around work. So like, let's say you're really stressed out and you're having um, a hard time, you're upset, you're mad about something at work. Um, It can be really hard to recover from those emotions, even when the day is over, right? Mm -hmm. So the emotion regulation types of trainings, I think are going to be a little bit more complex than the boundary one, because it's really focusing on techniques that help people calm down and help them work through those emotions. So it includes like helping them work through like muscle and breathing, relaxing exercises, which kind of has a tie to mindfulness, but slightly different. Um, there's 
some interventions they talked about that go through concepts of accepting negative emotions and being able to like manage and, you know, like this is a negative emotion and how do you move past it as well as other types of coping mechanisms for emotions in difficult situations. So there's a variety of interventions that was included in this grouping of interventions, but Really, if you're interested in building an emotion regulation intervention for your teams, thinking through like, you know, what kind of experts are there that are in that psychological space that can help um, people learn techniques to manage their emotions. Hmm, That's really cool. So the idea is that when I am experiencing something that's emotional at work, that can easily drag into the rest of my day, like taint the way that I am with my family or make it so that... I'm not actually present. I'm ruminating on something, thinking about that emotion. So it's like when I recognize this emotion, I need to sort of interrupt that emotion and say, okay, you know, maybe we can acknowledge that I'm feeling it, but I'm not going to allow it to completely take over my day. What are some mechanisms for doing that? And your suggestion here, which is, you know, just in the interest of uh, there being a whole literature on uh, emotion regulation is that you would you know, hire somebody who could maybe come in and help people to really figure out what the emotions are that they're experiencing and then specific strategies for coping with those emotions in in an effective manner. Exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of people do emotion regulation work in therapy, right? So it might be that you as an organization provide an intervention that is like a broader course. People can learn about emotion regulation techniques or, you know, there's a lot of wins if you provide mental health um, resources and therapy to your employees. So if you're able to kind of subsidize that kind of mental health care, that could also be a place, right? And encouraging employees to go to therapy, even if they don't feel like they have a lot of problems um, or they don't feel like they need it, but just encouraging them saying that we know that understanding how to regulate emotions is going to be helpful and maybe creating this like climate and culture of, you know, go to an individual session because we cover it, um, for a while to kind of understand how to personally manage your own emotions. Yeah. And even just acknowledging that emotions exist in the workplace, right? Like I feel like there are still (laughs) workplaces out there where people are like, emotions don't have a place in the workplace. Like this is a place of rational decision-making and like, I don't want to talk about emotions or whatever, but it's like, not talking about it, not acknowledging it doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that yeah. you're not addressing it. So I think like a good first step too would be if you're in one of these workplaces where people are just like not in tune at all with the idea that people might be feeling emotions at work. Like they are and they mm-hmm. will be. And we need to actually like just recognize that and then find effective ways of actually addressing some of the negative emotions that could be having an impact on your employee population. Yes, exactly. And the final one, the final intervention that they recommend, um, is around, uh, oh gosh, where is it? Where did I write it down? <laughs> sleep improvement. <laughs> yes. I was like, I, there's another one more sleep improvement. Yes. yes. So sleep improvement is another one, which is a little bit different than the others because it's more tangential. It's not as directly related to like how you're coping with the detachment issues. Mm. Um, but sleep obviously is highly impacted if you're not detaching. Right. So they talked about providing courses. Um, so like the types of courses that were evaluated rather than the meta analysis included things like cognitive behavioral strategies on how to ensure restful sleep, um, thinking about like sleep hygiene education. So like, how do you get Mm -hmm. yourself prepared for sleep effectively? Um, stimulus control. So like different types of interventions around sleep and really understanding, uh, how to effectively 
set yourself up for good sleep Mm -hmm. um, are really important. And again, going back to this finding that the longer interventions, the better. So yet again, you know, telling someone one time that they should do the sleep hygiene routine is fine. But if you have a multi-week course where you kind of check in with people and have them go through all of the, you know, the steps and then come back and the continue to practice these things, the better results you're going to have. So thinking about how you can provide, you know, not just have a sleep expert come to the company one time and do one talk, but how can you provide some sort of intervention that's longer, a longer course type intervention to allow people to really understand how to impact their sleep. Yeah. And even like normalizing conversations about that, I think will be helpful. Like what if your manager was like, Hey, how'd you sleep last night? Like I slept great. Like if you're not sleeping well, like that should be a focus. Like I want you to make sure that you're prioritizing getting sleep. And like that could become something in the workplace that people actually talk about instead of like this badge of courage. I remember I worked for um, someone who would just say like, I don't think anyone needs more than four hours sleep a night. Like that's what I get. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And and I just don't think that people actually need that. I think that people like sleep too much. You can get so much more done and you're really tired when you hit the pillow. So I sleep like a sack of bricks for four hours. And I feel like most people are like just getting this light sleep. Like he had this whole like a, a scientific theory around sleep (laughs) but he talked about it a lot and it was really detrimental because then people felt like if they were sleeping like a normal amount of time they couldn't talk about it so yeah um again like that normalizing piece I think sounds like it's important too of incorporating into conversations and checking in and it's not a one and done exactly I think that's the biggest piece here, right? It's like, so these are some great interventions, some um, really focused areas that companies can can work on as well as employees. You know, if you don't have access to these things, there there are resources that you can learn about boundary management, emotion regulation, and sleep improvement that, you know, exist outside of your organization. So there's a really key places to focus. But the fact that the interventions that were, you know, more than two weeks, and more than four hours were the most effective, I think is really, really important because we just often will bring in like, we'll have a wellness month or whatever. And you'll bring in someone to talk about sleep for one hour. And then someone that talks about boundaries for one hour and then that's it. But there really could be a lot more. And maybe you take that expert's information as like one piece of the puzzle and then you create other content, like whatever that looks like there are is a need to make these interventions a little bit longer. And then if you're an employee that's just on your own working on this, like think about how you can create a structure for yourself. So you come back to this topic once a week for six weeks, let's say, just to like make sure you're building that habit for yourself. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so don't make it a one and done help your employees to set those boundaries help your employees to recognize that emotions exist and they should try to find ways and you can help them find ways to address those emotions in uh, an effective manner Um, and make sure that people are getting sleep and talk about sleep and it's not uh, something to be embarrassed about if you're getting a good amount of sleep all of these things actually boost performance so believe it or not if people are just working a million hours they burn out eventually it's bad for performance so help your employees do this and if you're in a job where you feel like you're getting close to burnout it sounds like these things also can be done individually. So I think this was mm-hmm. a really, really helpful article. Yeah, I really liked it. I think there's a lot of good stuff here. So great summary. It's definitely like main takeaway, main headline right here is interventions to help people detach from work 
they work. They're good. So Yay. try to do something. Yay. Um, <laughs> and so we'll leave you with that. See if there's any, um, you know, things you can start on your own. And hopefully if you're a leader, or have some influence, you can start bringing this to your teams as well so that people can, um, can really build that practice of detaching from work and creating proper boundaries um, and really feeling that they can get some recovery at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, that's all I got for you. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you want to get more from us at workerbeing.com, you can find a lot of details there around who we are, um, our content, some more articles and podcast episodes. You can always connect with us on social media at workerbeing. And again, we'd love to see you in our community. So check us out at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast, is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson.